Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Hey, and welcome back to the SUP FM podcast. It's Simon in the chair this week with an episode featuring British paddler Samantha Rudd. And this wasn't just a really interesting chat, but a very funny one too. And we covered masses of ground and talked about lots of useful stuff. So as a result, the show notes on supfm.show are slightly longer than usual. But if you are interested in any of the things that we discussed, then you can check out more details there. So here's this week's interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it. So today on SUP FM, we welcome British paddler Samantha Rutt. Samantha's well known on the UK SUP racing circuit and has competed in races across the UK and Europe and is coached by Seychelles of Paddle Monster fame. She recently joined the ranks of the adventure paddlers, having completed some really gritty sea challenges, and she's got some other challenges accepted and planned for the not too distant future. But Samantha is also an ambassador for the role that SUP can play to improve mental health and particularly in helping to treat post-traumatic stress disorder, and specifically uh, the complex PTSD, which she was diagnosed with a couple of years ago. So, Sam, welcome to SUP FM. Hi, hi, and welcome, uh, sorry, and welcome, and thank you for having me. <laughs> you might need to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll keep, that's, that's perfect, that's perfect, we'll keep going. Um, so, look, Sam, we've got loads that we can talk about yep. and some really interesting stuff. But before we get into it, um, we have had loads of new paddlers join our, our tribe this year. Uh, can you remember the first time you stepped on a board and what was that experience like for you? Yes, I can. Um, and I don't think it's the experience that people um, normally have when they, they take up paddle boarding. Um, my background is, is coming from mixed martial arts um, and I'd, I'd sustained quite a, quite a bad neck injury. I'd broken the disc in my neck um, and I'd lost quite a lot of the use of my arm. Me and my husband had a, a surfing holiday planned for Portugal and not wanting to give up, which is, I think, something I'm, I'm kind of known for. We decided to go just to enjoy the sun, just to be close to the sea. So we, we kind of got to Portugal. Um, it, was, it was heartbreaking seeing everyone surfing. And, and I thought, I saw this sign for paddleboard and I thought, I'll give that a go because at least, at least I'm on the water. So we got, got the lesson booked. Um, I, I knew very little about paddleboarding at the time. And we turned up at the beach really old wetsuits it was really windy um just me my husband and a surf instructor who didn't look very impressed that he was teaching us to paddleboard um I think he wanted to be in the surf so after we went to collect our boards that had blown off down the beach um we was taken out onto this little lagoon that led into a river um and it was awful um I didn't understand how wind, you know, at the time affected paddleboarding and we were blown all over. Mm. I fell off so much and I thought, this just, this just isn't for me. 
Um, came back to the UK, didn't really think much about paddleboarding or surfing, but missed the ocean so much and saw that um, Hans Danton were offering paddleboard lessons. So I thought, I'm, I'm going to give it one more go. Um, I tried it on flat water at Hunstanton and absolutely fell in love. And I think that the the rest is history. But I had an instructor who was really enthusiastic about paddleboarding, Alex. And I think that made all the difference um, from windy days in Portugal and a really grumpy Portuguese surfer instructor. (laughs) Yeah, it it does make a massive difference, doesn't it, when uh, the person teaching you is really enthusiastic but you mentioned about MMA and I, I must um, ask about that how long we how long are you doing that it sounds incredible I mean I, I've started watching it it's uh, it, it's pretty uh, it's pretty brutal stuff isn't it yeah I think it it gets a really bad reputation for being quite brutal and quite graphic but the 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 way I liken it to it's it's almost like chess but um, with using the human body and kind of using um, martial arts um, as a way to do that mm-hmm. and it's extremely technical but I think people just look at it and think it's it's just people just punching each other but but it's not and I, I started I mean I've done martial arts for pretty much 20-25 years um, I'd started with kickboxing and then started doing like realistic self-defense training the police um training close protection mm. officers in adrenal stress training and i just i just started kind of down that route and then found um mixed martial arts and because it's so many different disciplines mixed into one it just really fitted me um mm. getting ready for um my first fight it was two two weeks before that that i actually injured my neck so i was a bit disappointed by that and it's it's taken me a while to get back but I'm, I'm back doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu which I love although we can't because of COVID at the moment um it's been nice to kind of get back to doing that and there's there's some real affinities because martial arts is about sort of flexibility and technique and I and I guess you know there, there's so much of that involved in in paddling particularly the uh, the racing I mean it sounds like you're very competitive how, how yeah. did you first get into the racing I think um I'm I'm not very competitive as in I really want to beat another person. I did find that with, with MMA. Um, it was just about self-development and self-improvement for me. And racing's the same. I, I started off doing mm. like a kilometre and then I wanted to see how fast I could do that kilometre. And being in Norfolk, there was nobody to race train with. So I'd have to drive off to Paul to find out a bit more about this this sup racing. Um, and just... Mm-hmm kept trying to push myself and push myself and it yeah just I think that's just naturally how I am I think from an early age if anybody said you know most people like to go for a walk I like to run from point to point and get there as quickly as possible I don't always take time in between to you know to do the slow stuff so, so tell me about your first race was that down in in pool no it's at, um, at Central Sup and it was on the uh, right the Nash One designs, mm-hmm. and I yeah. I turned up with a I had a surf shape at the time, like a bamboo, really cheap board, a, a paddle mm-hmm. that was like a shovel, um, way too long <laughs> for me. And um, we kind of turned up, and everyone was went through all the you know the the route we'd be racing, and when everyone when they asked about the categories, and they said like who's here from the the surf shape, there was only me that put my hand up. So I was like, oh, brilliant. I've got first place at least. And that's when Mark Price, who I'd met when I did my instructor's course, came up and said, I've got you and Ash One to race on. You're going doing the 10K with the others. I was like, oh, my God, really? 
um, but I went and raced and I was racing with like Kerry Baker, um, Helen, and I came, I came third in that race. So that was my first, wow. first ever race. And it was, yeah, it was, I was hooked from then on. Brilliant stuff. And, and you've raced, um, obviously since then all over the country. Have you got any sort of favorite, um, favorite races there or, or favorite performances, um, highlights? I love any of the, um, ocean races. Um, I think. I've done a lot of the the, the flat water races and they, they're amazing fun, but I, f- I, I love the challenge of, um, of being mm. on the ocean because it's different every time. So you've never got the mm-hmm. race. So I like the, like the Celtic cut, the base up race is, is great fun because they usually give you quite a technical mm-hmm. route and, um, beach runs, which we love. Yeah. Says nobody. Yeah. They're Fantastic. Awful. <laughs> but- yeah. I hate running. It's awful. It's awful. I'm trying to run with your board and it's, yeah, yeah. and I'm clumsy. So it usually makes for, for good entertainment. But I, <laughs> I think my my favourite race of all time was in San Sebastian. It's one of the Euro Tour races because the location, oh, wow. it was just so pretty. That was, yeah. What was the surf like down there? Oh, it's pretty it was, big, uh, yeah. I, last time I went down there, it was massive. Yeah, it's it a bit was, of a challenge. It was carnage. I think there's some really good video footage of um, just the pros coming in. and they 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 did like an m shape so you surf into the beach and then go out to a buoy turn around the buoy so mm-hmm. kind of going out through the surf background um and, mm. and in again um so it was i think there was a lot of carbon fiber boards with holes in at the end of that i bet there was wow there. that's yeah, it's a bit scary down there and you've you done some other um really nice races as well um you did the Glar Glar in um, Ansi. I love that area. I've spent a lot of time down there. How how was that one? It's amazing. Um, I really there's, there's part of me that really regretted racing that race um, because the the scenery is unbelievable. Um, but mm. I was really fortunate that I'd met Benoit, um, who organises the Glar Glar on a downwind clinic in Fuerteventura, and he kept saying, "Come along, come along, you'll enjoy it." So we went this year, and it was. I think it's everything that everybody describes it as and and then more um are you, mm. do you think you'll do it one year oh god yeah yeah G- given the chance absolutely on the bucket list yeah definitely oh absolutely I mean I, I've got a whole load I've got I mean I've got a real affinity for for France I think they do oh. racing very well even when I was running, they, you know, they've, they've got a, they've got a, a marathon called the Marathon de Medoc, where you kind of get, you, you do it in fancy dress, and you've got the choice of uh, when you go to the refueling stations, whether you have like the isotonic drinks or whether you have like a glass of wine. Um, so, you know, they, they've they've got things properly sorted. And, and there's a there's a race that, yeah, exactly, totally. And and there's a race down south, which is uh, in a place called Milau, which is. Um, there's this like massive bridge that that's been built, and it's like a, a huge sort of French landmark now. And it's um, it's it's down the the Tarn River, and uh, you know there's a, there's a little. I mean, it, it's a it's a proper race, but there, there's um, you know it's for racing boards as well. And I've really got my eye on that. But yeah, Glar Glar, that just looks incredible, and that landscape is just so spectacular, particularly in winter as well. Yeah, and we kind of geared ourselves up for it being really cold, um, and I was wearing a winter wetsuit and I was so hot and I I wish I'd taken um, Sonny's advice because she was wearing like a, a long jane. Um, but I really overheated. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't, I mean, the water temperature is cold, but the day was just 
blue skies, the sun was mm. out. Um, it was 600 people on the start line. It, it was really breathtaking. Yeah, absolutely special. What was the distance of that one? 16 kilometres. So, yeah, you would have got very hot in that. Yeah, and you, I, I'm kind of used to knowing how much hydration I need for different distances. And um, I think I underestimated just how hot I'd be. You just, you just presume it's going to be cold, but it won't yeah. be, yeah. Yeah, well, blimey, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> you kind of mix it up a bit, don't you? Because I know you enjoy the uh, odd wave as well. And uh, I think in Norfolk, you've probably got the same sort of size waves that we have in Dorset. It's not like Nazare or uh, or Jaws <laughs> quite, but it's still kind of quite an enjoyable experience when uh, when everything's sort of going in the right direction. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, I think it's been the one thing this year that, um, it's been nice to have the confidence to know that my neck's stable enough that if I have a wipeout, it's going to respond um, the way mm. it used to, or the way a normal person's neck would. The surgeon that I was seeing about my neck was concerned that the disc might move backwards towards my like spinal cord because it hadn't compacted mm. down properly, but it's kind of all compacted and in, in place now. So he kind of said that, you know, the, there's no reason you can't get back to doing what you was doing. So I, picked up sup surfing um because i'd always been like a regular surfer and i f- i find it so much easier sup surfing because i'm already stood up and i'm not a great mm, yeah absolutely. not a great surf like a, a great surfer but i just love being out in the waves it it's just so good for your mental health and it's, it's good fun but yeah the, they're not big waves and then they're very mellow um we do get some dumpy ones a little bit further around the coast um but i i just want to go out when it's fun and clean and enjoy it mm. you get some nice ones in Dorset we do we do yeah. get some nice ones we had a although we've had a lot of wind recently but um yeah. I think it was the the just the day before lockdown we had a beautiful clear day everything was coming in at the right direction and basically the world and his wife was was there in the in the lineup there and uh, right, just yeah. having a, a fantastic morning yeah yeah absolutely wonderful yeah that sounds like that we're here with like the locals were all out and it was it was a nice day blue skies clean waves fantastic nothing better yeah um so so sort of moving on to to your burgeoning uh, adventure career um you've recently been up to to scotland um, um and we'll talk about that in a second but you were the first woman to to paddle the wash um yeah that can be quite a challenging body of, of water there could you just sort of explain where it is and, and how that went yeah um it's kind of my local area it's where I spend a lot of my time paddleboarding and we've got a little like local, local legend called Martin who who I'd known has paddled it before I think it's Europe's largest estuary and it kind of mm. it's like a square between Lincoln and, and Norfolk and it runs into in in through King's Lynn and I think sailors have said that they've they've sailed boats from California all the way to to England, and the wash has been the hardest bit of water um, to actually sail across because of the way the, the the kind of water flows in. It can be really choppy. I think we get whirlpools. I think we've we've had quite a lot of boats sunk in that area, and I've heard all sorts of um, local horror stories that everybody tells you when you've you know you've got this idea to go from one side to the other which is what I really enjoy of you know kayaks being turned over and Mm. um, the currents are are so strange and all sorts of um, sea monsters we have (laughs) 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 our own Loch Ness I think Um, 
Here be dragons. Yeah. We get whales quite a lot because the, the channel's quite deep. We get quite a lot of sharks as well. So it was, you know, you, I tried wow. to not let stories like that put me off because I quite like being in and out around nature. Um, but I had to be really patient mm. with crossing the wash because you do need to get the conditions right. And I'm very fortunate that I'm friends with um, people that work at the RNLI and people that have lived there their whole lives kind of helped me pick the right day. Um, so yeah. we, we set off from Skegness and it's it's only 24 kilometres, but it was the first time I'd ever kind of experienced paddling. Well, I'd say that I'd, I'd paddled quite away from the coast into the wash previously but from the Norfolk side uh, but it was it was just amazing and I felt really elated once I got to the other side like a sense of achievement although I bet. yeah I bet. my husband came with me and um, I, th- I think for the last 10 kilometers he was swearing at me it was hard work for him <laughs> Um, but he'd, he'd had a Costa coffee and a Red Bull before setting off and I thought it's probably not oh there you go yeah not the right nutrition for for doing that um but yeah, it, yeah. It, it was good, good fun. <laughs> Fantastic. And then, um, and then you decided to take on a, a, a much smaller challenge than that, which is paddling the channel, yeah. but not only paddling the channel, paddling back. And um, I know that that was planned uh, for this year and, um, and I was kind of following your progress and your training, but uh, unfortunately uh, you, you hit a bit of a problem with that one, didn't you? Yeah. And it's an, it's an unfortunate one because it's, because nobody's ever paddled to France and back again and um, no boat charter companies actually worked with anyone doing that. I'd paid a boat charter company to kind of do all the paperwork, plan the route, um, kind of that side of things. And so I could just focus on training and it, it soon became apparent, like I think within, in the couple of weeks leading up to when my challenge was due, that the logistics of needing permission from France weren't going to be as easy as the boat charter company thought um mm. because you're you're allowed it's the same with the swimmers you're you're allowed to leave uk water and and head towards the french coast but as soon as you're um leaving the french coast it's strictly prohibit, prohibited unless you've got um permission for an unorthodox crossing which, which it's classified as it's been really difficult this year um because of um the migrant crisis that we kind of face with a lot of yeah. people in the water um, and a lot more movement and also with Brexit and how that affects things um, so mm. with it being so late in the year it was, it was sadly postponed but I have a new boat charter company that work with the French Maritime they've got mm-hmm. a meeting I think it's this weekend um, to actually discuss whether they would grant me permission to do the unorthodox crossing or um, what I would need to do or need to provide them to to be able to do that so it's it's kind of waiting and seeing but I, yeah I'm very hopeful I don't I don't give up hope so. definitely not definitely not but but you know you had your your dates in there and presumably you'd done all the training and yeah uh, and you were sort of in, in prime physical shape ready to to go for it I, yeah, I felt great it's, it's probably the best I felt about my paddling I'm really fortunate that um, I got to meet Seychelles in San Sebastian we we me her Ginny and Helen um, all shared an apartment together and just had um, oh, wow. such a fun time and we kind of got talking and she had a very similar neck injury to me that year so we share tips and she helped me with some traction and we talked about supplements and we just we I think we, we just became really good friends as well and 
she was doing the training for Paddle Monster and I ended up training with her and she's she's so experienced when it comes to endurance paddling. She's done the 11 cities. She held the record for 24-hour paddle. So she helped me think about all the things other than just the cardio training. So we did some long 40-kilometer paddles but she also broached the subject um, of like if you need to go for a wee when you're doing a 12-hour paddle and how you do that and because all these things I was like I I just can't I'm not going to wee I can't wee in my wetsuit Um, not sure if I can say this but (laughs) it's it's the kind of the reality that people might not think about you know Um, yeah she helped me with my nutrition all sorts yeah so yeah excellent excellent well yeah yeah, yeah. There are lots of weeing stories. I, I don't think we'll probably uh, uh, repeat them on here. And um, you know, and and it gets worse if you're doing something like cycling as well. God. Yeah. Um, well, I hadn't yeah. even thought about it. In, in kind of my naivety, I was like, "Yeah, I've got my training sorted. I've got my hydration sorted." Um, and somebody said, mm-hmm. "Like, what will you do if you need the toilet?" And I was like, oh, "God, I have absolutely no idea. I hadn't even thought about that." Um, so yeah. <laughs> Should always put him so what's the solution then and, and, we, and we can cut this out yeah maybe, no. but, uh, what, what's the solution I'm intrigued in her notes so when she she'd send me a training plan there would be a comment under the long distance paddling um just just go pee so to, to just go if you've got to jump in the water to do it just go or even if you're paddling just go um and and yeah there you go do it, so, it anyway so which is something I struggle brilliant with so surfing the yeah, well, this is fantastic, Samantha. We've already um, added some huge value to all of our listeners here. So, uh, so yeah, don't don't be shy. Um, just uh, just go where you are. Obviously, yeah. make sure you're on the water or in a wetsuit or something like that. Not but, in the supermarket. Uh, but no, that's uh, <laughs> no, exactly. No, you get chucked out. Yeah. So that's not good. That's not good. Um, so, so Seychelles, I mean, she, she's, she's quite a, a character, obviously, um, you know, she, she's got, you know, real sort of practical experience of competing at the, the highest level and, and the whole paddle monster model is, is so clever. I mean, we had Larry Kane on, um, the other day Amazing. and, um, you know, the, the ability, um, of them to sort of, for you to send your videos across and, and, you know, have your paddle technique being assessed is something that, that tends to be missing from from you know the various sort of online stuff that's out there i mean you can watch any number of youtube videos about technique but it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll map across to your own technique not at all yeah so so what sort of things that what, what other insights did um did seisha give you did she sort of have a look at your, your technique and yeah you make any tweaks i mean or? this is where i think um seychelle and, and what they do at paddle monster and larry is um, again, it, it comes down to that enthusiasm. They genuinely care about what they're doing and they genuinely care about you as an athlete. And um, Seychelle would go above and beyond on my video analysis. We'd have it monthly and it would just be the small mm-hmm. small tweaks. So I was starting to feel a bit of fatigue in my forearm and as little as just applying a little bit of pressure to my little finger through my paddle stroke helped me engage different mm. muscles. Um, you know, th- they're, they're, these are things that she's tried and tested herself and um you know they 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 are so knowledgeable in what they do it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to kind of learn from them um and for them to help me with my paddle technique like larry um just 
suggesting that you flex your ankles like in ski boots the difference that makes to how much energy you're using through a paddle stroke and how, how more efficient it makes you it's it's little things like that that you you don't learn when you become a sup instructor yeah exactly yeah and and those little ergonomic yeah. um, moves really make such a difference it doesn't matter what sport you're doing whether you're sort of swimming or running or whatever it's it's in- incredible the sort of returns you can get from those insights which is why the coaching it, it is so important yeah. and uh, well I'm surprised that more people don't actually take up coaching because you know as I said you can watch as many YouTube videos as you want yeah. but uh, it doesn't substitute for a knowledgeable eye just making those little adjustments to to make you more effective on the water yeah, so um, less prone to injury but that's something that I've recently set up I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or or not um but with online paddler training um myself just doing plans for people with with t- tips in there for racing because I'm not sure there's anywhere in the UK that we've we've got at the moment that you can go to um to kind of get just a bit more knowledge, but work, you know, working with other athletes. Yeah, you, you can absolutely say that. Um, we're not the BBC, <laughs> so uh, yeah. so yeah, if I wanted that service, uh, Samantha, where would I go? Oh God, um, that would be the the Barefoot Sup and Fitness, um, which I've, I've kind of I've kind of set up as a kind of, say a one stop race training and coaching and fitness service, but. but I've kind of set it up to offer what I couldn't find um, when I first started out racing. Um, mm. You know, all the information about the UK races, how to kind of structure your training around the UK races, so periodizing it, and kind of tips mm-hmm. for, for racing in the UK, equipment you might need, what the races are like. Um, but, but to also take regular paddlers that are enjoying paddling but want to do a bit more fitness-based exercise, so interval trainings and kind of talking about heart rate zones and just encouraging people to do a little bit more exercise and and to not be put off by training through winter because again I think like with all sports running cycling as long as you've got the right equipment and you're safe paddling through winter can be such a pleasure because you've you've got more of the waterways to yourself usually um so trying to make SUP more accessible all year round would be wonderful so I think if people have got a training plan that they're sticking to, it, it may encourage them to go out, which again is really good for the mental health because they're outside on the water, you know, doing what we all love as, as water people. Mm. So, so that brings us sort of neatly into, I guess, uh, another role, a, a third thing that you're known for, which is um, talking about mental health, encouraging other people to talk about their own mental health. And and also to encourage, you know, people taking ups up or, or other outdoor activities to, to help uh, improve their their mental health. So j- just tell us a little bit about um, your situation, Samantha, because you, 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 you're sort of very generous in terms of, of sharing that. And, um, you know, people don't always talk about uh, uh, mental health too much. It, it does have or it has had a bit of a stigma, and I, I think it's really important that uh, that it doesn't, because it's a you know it's a condition just like anything else, just because you can't necessarily see it. Yeah, and I think that's that's been half the battle. Um, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD last year um, after um, I had kind of three lots of trauma all very close together. Um, I had to perform CPR on like my next door neighbour. 
I witnessed and had to do first aid for quite a bad road traffic accident. And then I I stayed with my grandfather while he um, died of cancer. So they're all very big, um, emotional and quite Mm. traumatic um, experiences for people. But it kind of kickstarted a lot of trauma that I experienced in childhood, which is the complex side of things. Um, And I kept thinking, you know, I I pull yourself together, Sam. You're, you know, you're a strong woman. You you should be able to deal with all these things. Um, And I found that I was really like I was really struggling. And I went to see a counsellor and started talking and it, it kind of just expanded from there. And I'm a big I'm a big advocate for counselling, but I think a lot of people are put off because they may have been to the wrong counsellor. I tried counselling previously because I'm trained as a counsellor. And as part of being a counsellor, you have to have a minimum of 40 hours of your own counselling. So I saw lots of different types of people. And some I feel like, I really don't like talking to you. You make me feel quite judged, down to feeling really Mm. open and comfortable talking about all sorts with a counsellor and it's like personalities you you don't just go and pick a partner because because they're on Facebook you know there needs to be a relationship Mm. there so that needs to be with somebody that you feel that you you can connect with um so that kind of started me down the route and I'd never really heard of complex PTSD I'd heard of PTSD um and when it was broached as a subject that I maybe you know maybe suffering from it, I was quite shocked because, again, I'm not ex-military and I've spent a lot of time because I was I've worked as a as a bodyguard for 12, 12, 13 years, so I worked with a lot of military people that had experienced um, you know all sorts of manners of trauma while while serving in the military and had PTSD. So I I felt almost like a fraud that you know I hadn't. I hadn't been to war. Um, so it took me a while to actually get my, my brain around it. And I'm big on talking mm. because I think it offers other people an opportunity to share their experiences. And I started mm-hmm. talking to friends. And I soon started to notice that the more I was opening up and talking about my experiences, the easier it was for them to kind of go, actually, you know, I, I suffer from PTSD or I suffer from depression or... You know, I've I've experienced anxiety through my life, or you know, even um, seasonal effect, affective disorder. You know, people would start to talk mm. about things other than I don't know, my ankle's bad or my back's bad, which we do so easily. Um, it's usually the first mm. thing people talk about um, in the UK. It's either the weather or your injuries and ailments. Yep. Um, we don't yep. know. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> It's the first I'm like my neck, it's my neck. Um, but we have mental health as we have physical health. They kind of work side by side. But what we don't seem to talk about, or um, I do see it when I when I see groups, I kind of I like to watch the interactions and people kind of broach the subject and they that social connection is where we tend to talk about our mental health and, and where we don't have it, especially with lockdown. We're very isolated and we're, mm. we're not interacting socially the way we're designed to. There, there are more people with depression at the moment. People are struggling in lockdown with their mental health. But talking about it's the first, kind of one of the first steps, I think, because we know it's okay to not be okay. But, but where do you go from it not being okay? And for me, I think that's when you actually start talking about it and making it okay for other people to feel 
safe enough to talk about it without fear of being judged mm. or the you know the stigma that you you say it's the other thing I've noticed is people's politeness so when I've talked about my complex PTSD or mental health I can almost feel people not want to upset me by broaching the subject or it feels mm. like they're concerned that they might trigger something or make me sad or there's a level of consideration there that I think can stop people wanting to talk which is why when you said like I'd like to talk about the, the you know the complex PTSD I'm completely open to it because I think it it can hopefully set an example that you know you have your good days you have your bad days but we you know we can talk about it and make it comfortable to talk about it exactly and and it's all about taking away the mystery around these sorts of of things and you know the way that the brain operates i know you've got a background in in psychology as have i but the, but the brain sort of reacts in a way to protect the individual which is yeah. You know, it, it doesn't know whether it's doing a good job or not, but that's, you know, the underlying reason for PTSD. It's basically saying that you've had had some pretty awful experiences and I want to make sure that you don't have to go through that sort of thing again. And yeah. you know, it, it leads to to symptoms which are, you know, not ones that you would obviously choose. But, you, you know, your brain is trying to do the best thing for you. So it's just a question really of replumbing those connections and you know talking is 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 a great therapy um you know um obviously you've got the, the pharmaceutical um stuff as well yeah. and then uh, obviously spending time on the water and you know spending time on the water just being out there in the elements and you know getting the benefit of vitamin d on your skin and so on it, you know or just going through a little bit of a a slog physically that can all help to sort of lessen that plumbing that leads to anxiety and and you know and can really lift depression yeah massively um I I mean I'd already researched because I think sometimes you kind of um steered towards a path to look down and I've always been interested in kind of the like you say the psychology how the brain works and like you're saying with with PTSD the reptilian brain kicks in which performs the most basic functions of your you know your fight your flight your freeze and faint which I think people forget that we have the mm -hmm. other two we kind of talk about um fighting or flight but freezing and feeling stuck can be a part of um you know PTSD um and also faint mm -hmm. the, the the fainting side of things but they were designed to protect you um ultimately and they, mm -hmm. they can become so overstimulated that the smallest thing can trigger it um so that's when I kind of started looking into um how how water really does affect trauma and it, it's really simple really because we we were reptilian creatures and we're 70 is it 70 percent water and depending mm -hmm. on how, how you believe we got here in life you know there's there's a strong possibility that we we did come from the ocean and for some people that may have experienced trauma or depression or are having a lull in their mental health, being near or on the water has a real positive effect on soothing that part of the brain. And I looked into like the, you know, the, the ions that people talk about when you're near, near the coast. And I think a lot of people think they're positive ions, but they're actually negative ions that have got extra electricity like electrical charge and you'll find them at place you know places in nature like waterfalls the ocean and I've 
I've checked because I know there's the you know people say oh we know it it makes you feel good being near the ocean but the research behind it does that actually kind of back it up and there there is research um you know even as a like 2013 I think there's a research paper talking about how being near the ocean does reduce symptoms of depression and actually has an, a, a positive influence on your like your cognitive behavior as well so the way we process things mm-hmm. can help regulate your sleep patterns which I think we all know if we get a good night's sleep you feel 10 times better and, and spending time by the sea somehow yeah absolutely it yeah. makes you you sleep so much better and and the other thing which I've kind of been playing with recently um is cold water therapy as well and I don't know whether you heard there's a guy called Wim Hof yeah who, who um <laughs> yeah so he, he's an absolute absolute god and 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 you know it's just concentrating on basic sort of evolutionary yeah. stuff so spending time in in cold water and uh, and also this sort of breathing technique which is which is sort of really yeah. effective but that kind of engages with the your nervous system that yeah. helps you to sort of deal with that stress um i i actually uh, here we go confession time um i bought um i bought one of these sort of outdoor bath things out uh, from amazon recently and i've um, and i've put that in my back garden and every morning i go out there in my trunks and I basically sit in this bath for a, a few minutes and this morning it was the air temperature was six degrees and the water was nine degrees and it, uh, it took a bit of gasping uh, before I got in and I have to be really careful about that because I don't want the uh, neighbours to get the wrong idea of what's going on in the, uh, the garden first thing in the morning. What are they doing in their garden yeah. I know, but the, the sort of buzz you get from that, I mean, obviously it wakes you up, but it just gives you that massive endorphin thing. So I think water's yeah. so, so effective, isn't it, in terms of um, improving mental health? Massively. Um, I was kind of introduced to, to Wim Hof, not like physically, but via Laird Hamilton, um, probably a, about a good five years ago. And I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of what Wim Hof does. Um I think it's absolutely amazing and um in the morning and in the evening I do his breathing so I do um like the, mm-hmm. the, the breath retention the cold mm-hmm. water I've I've done for a long time a lot because I you know I thought if I fall in in winter I want to kind of have some some control or as much control as I can over um you know the gas reflex that you talk about when you get in the water it's yeah. it's quite strong but you soon learn to control it um People laugh at me if I go for like I'll, I'll always be the cold shower in the swimming pool rather than the warm shower. But mm. yeah, it, it's your, your parasympathetic nervous system that it connects to, which again ties into the, the very fundamental kind of reptilian brain that that you've got. Um, and my my psychologist, like fellow counsellors that I've worked with, they're kind of starting to think about how this has an effect on people that have suffered with PTSD so there, there is a link there I don't think there's anywhere near enough research but it's something that mm-hmm. I've found if I'm if I'm quite anxious or my brain's kicking in telling me that I need to be anxious when I've got no reason to be anxious and I've not got a tiger ready to jump on me while I'm putting my washing out in the garden mm. if I <laughs> I don't know if Norfolk, we might, you know, it might happen. Um, yeah, it might happen. <laughs> if I just do some breathing exercises, it really helps soothe that part of your brain. Um, and having an awareness that you've got that control, because a lot of times we, or certainly for me, I would feel anxious and just say, oh, I've got an anxiety disorder. 
I'm just anxious. But I was getting anxious mm. at the most inappropriate moment, like putting my washing out, you know, get the butterflies in my belly and think, why, you know, why, why am I experiencing that? But now I'm aware why I'm experiencing it. And I know I've got this, this tool, kind of like toolbox now of things that I can do, like the breathing, cold water, mm-hmm. exercise, taking myself off to the ocean, meditating. I can pick them because sometimes mm. they don't always work. I find sometimes I can't focus enough to do the breathing and I get frustrated with myself because I've not held my breath for long enough. Um, so then I'll, mm. I'll try and use something else. I'm like, yeah, need to do it for longer. <laughs> that is incredible. I mean, the Wim, Wim Hof stuff. So, yeah. so basically you do the cycle of breaths, you breathe out. And, and normally if you just try breathing out and then holding your breath, was it less than 10 seconds, I guess, you know, yeah. I, I can manage. But but doing Wim Hof is amazing. You just keep, you get go into a real kind yeah. of bit of a, a zen and you get a, li- a little bit of a head rush, uh, at least I do anyway. Yeah. You, but um, but you, you definitely feel better afterwards. And you can't explain it to, um, to someone um, how it feels because your body feels charged. Um, it's the only way that I can explain it. And I, I'll feel tingling I'll feel like um you know my mm-hmm. body warm up and then afterwards on that last if you do you do like three three rounds or do you yeah. do more yeah. on that third round it's just so serene like my my brain mm. feels really calm and it's it's a really lovely state um I, th- I think it's extremely clever how he discovered it as well um but that was mm. that was based on trauma yeah def- yeah it was so there's there's links there. It'd be interesting to see what research comes out of it. But it's, yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, it's it's good fun to play with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, don't be disappointed with your with your time. It's because I find that it sort of varies from from day to day. But yeah. uh, I think the the other thing, you know, it's really interesting about how these sort of very simple things. Are, are, I don't know whether they're coming into vogue. I mean, I, I've found them very effective. But things like meditation and so on. Some of these really sort of ancient things are coming back. Yeah. And one of the things that I always say to people is, is that, you know, if, if we've been on this earth at, in our current form as humans for, say, 100,000 years, we've out of that 100,000 years, we've just been farming for the last 10,000 years. And, you know, how long have we had technology for a very short period? So basically, the majority of our time on this earth, we've lived here as sort of hunter-gatherers. So we have been, um, you know, we have needed to be able to react to saber-toothed tigers and all yeah. of that sort of stuff. So it's, so it's not surprising that our brains are set up, you know, as as they, they would have been, you know, 90,000 years ago. And, um, you know, it's not surprising that they react in these primitive ways to... Um, to the sort of stresses that um, that we encounter in our modern life. So uh, anyway, yeah. there you go. There's my philosophical point of I the, like it, yeah. <laughs> the interview. <laughs> it's true, though. It's so true. So, so in terms of the, the symptoms, what actually made you sort of go for a, a diagnosis in the first place? Because people, you know, live with with symptoms and they just sort of say, well, it's just the way I am. Yeah, I think for me it was – it. I think I, it was disbelief at first because I thought I'm functioning. Um, one of the symptoms that you get with complex PTSD is, is disassociation, which means, again, it's that your body's way of protecting you so you don't experience trauma. But I, I didn't realize how much I'd taken that into um, adulthood. I thought everybody responded that way. So 
like the traumas that I was talking about last year. So when my neighbor collapsed, my initial reaction was very calm, very cool, very practical. And everybody else was losing their head around me. But that's because I'm very mm. um, good at disassociating with what's actually happening. I can just go through the, the logical side of things. The same with the car accident. Mm-hmm. I went in very, very calm, um, dealt with all the situation and wondered why people were just stood staring at me and not helping and thinking, what's wrong? You know, what, why are these people not helping? And it wasn't until I started to question my, my behavior that I was the odd one out that, you know, I wasn't panicking. I wasn't, I wasn't breathing. I'd completely disassociated to deal with, you know, um, what I was witnessing that I started to realize that I've actually spent quite a lot of my time disassociated. So I'm functioning, mm-hmm. but I'm not actually feeling um, like 100%. So it's almost like a volume switch. Mm. It will be turned down for a lot of the time, but then I could experience. Um, so I saw like a pheasant get run over and I sobbed like it was, um, you know, a long lost friend. Um, so the body doesn't quite mm. know. And everyone's looking at me like it's a pheasant. But it's like, I was just so sad, <laughs> so sad. Um, my emotional regulation wasn't like the dial didn't know how to function properly. So I've been working right. on ways to kind of, of you know, deal, deal with that. But the disassociation side I'm learning, we, we kind of joke about it as being like a superpower. It allows me to mm. do some of the things I do. So I know if I'm disassociated, I'll, I'll go for a run. I'll come back. As soon as I finished running, I noticed the pain in my feet like blisters that I hadn't noticed when I'm running so for endurance paddling it could be quite a good thing because I don't feel any physical pain until after the event um you stop yeah and that's Mm. that's when it and it doesn't always kick in but it you know it can do at that point so I have to be careful and um about kind of keeping myself safe when I'm doing adventures and I think Scotland was a really good learning curve for Mm. me you know I don't know if like you know what the water's like around Duncansby Head and the currents up there and the tidal race. I think it's the biggest tidal race. And if you if you it kind of um opens and closes and I think it gets wider and narrower. And if you time it wrong, you're kind of dealing mm. with standing waves, eddies. Um so kind of paddling round was was really difficult um and I've also learned I don't seem to have that switch that tells me this isn't a really good idea Sam you know you, you're off out there you might have a radio and you know I've, I've always got my um emergency response beacon with me but actually for somebody that's quite anxious you're putting yourself in quite a, you know probably not the most sensible mm. thing to do but it was a real kind of eye-opener on how to kind of keep myself safe so the rest of the paddling I've been doing, I've actually been putting, you know, supporting and making sure that I'm doing it in manageable chunks. You've got a specific mission, haven't you? So so you went up to um, John O'Groats, um, obviously, because, um, you know, for the reasons that you said, you weren't able to do your, your channel crossing. And uh, and you went up to, um, to Scotland to start a whole other challenge. So just tell us a bit about, uh, about that. Yeah, well, my aim is kind of... T- to paddle as you know it was originally to paddle as much of the east coast as I could um I had a two-week window so I thought I'll start in Scotland um to get kind of like the the top 
bit done and I did a like 100 kilometers that in the, over those two weeks and it's about a week and a half because there was bad weather that, that kind of come in lots of strong winds um and with covid restrictions my aim was to then stop at northumberland where i've got friends and i'd stay with them and do the northumberland coast and then kind of join it all up um paddle logger are doing me a nice mm-hmm. map in the background of where i've paddled so far but meeting up with the uk clubs uk paddlers that i know and kind of just working working my way around but covid meant that they were on lockdown so i couldn't get a support boat so I decided that I, I can do the water local to me. So I started again in the wash. I'm mm-hmm. at Great Yarmouth now. So I've paddled halfway around the kind of the bump of England. I think they call it the bum of England. Um, <laughs> and this weekend I should should make it um, through to Suffolk. So I'll have done the Norfolk to Suffolk wow. border. And then my aim is to just keep chipping away at, at it um, as and when I can mm-hmm. around work and like the, the logistics has been the hardest bit because it's a point to point. I need somebody to be able to pick me up. Um, mm. And that's not always been the easiest to organise. So I thought I can take the pressure off. It. And it's got to be someone from your bubble as well, yeah. hasn't it? So. so it falls on poor Steve. Um, but he's so grateful for everything he does. He's so supportive. But the aim is to just keep going and, and you know, see see where I end up. It might be a, a you know, lifelong work but it would be really nice to do the whole of the UK in bits you know make it manageable mm. make it make it achievable for me to be able to do meet up with clubs and talk mental health oh, that's fantastic and and of course um, as we're talking about um, paddling the coast of the UK we we couldn't stop this conversation without having a quick chat about Jordan Wiley so um, I know you've had a quite a bit of contact and um, and you've, you've been um, raising money for him as well um he's just done a phenomenal job so far hasn't he yeah um i i was put in contact with jordan before he started doing his his paddle um via dave at paddle logger because we're both ambassadors like for paddle logger and we've both got a very similar background um we both kind of come from a security background so we had quite a bit in common and it you know I had a, a bit of a chat to him when he started off and I just think it's amazing again the the mental resilience he shows because I think he said himself he's not he's not been paddleboarding very long and yet he's paddled further than you know some some of some of the world's most experienced paddleboarders it's it's really amazing um mm. to have followed his journey and he is a really humble guy um I think he said all along and when you speak to Jordan you really do get that feel that it's not about the the world record it's there's no ego there he just wants to fulfill that promise to um to get this school built and it's it's easy to stand behind somebody that's doing something that's kind to other people you you can't not want to help them achieve that so um I'm hoping to join him soon he keeps inviting me for paddles, but I'm waiting until he, he comes a little bit closer where it gets a bit warmer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, I soon be able to pop up and, and kind of go for a paddle with him. Mm. He, I mean, he's a, a super nice guy. He's, he, you know, if you haven't caught his updates on Facebook or or, or uh, the greatbritishpaddle.com, I think it is, uh, we'll have the, the link in the show notes. But he is an absolutely genuine, super nice guy, and the level of grit at the moment. I think he, because of COVID, he's not able to to make landfall. So yeah. sleeping overnight in uh, in the 
a boat which has very little heating, if any. I think. Yeah. I mean, just just the sheer grit to be able to get up day after day in a wet and damp environment and paddle in the Scottish, um, you know, the temperatures that Scotland are experiencing at the moment. He's just an absolute legend. Yeah. It's. I mean. yeah, I struggle to find the words to describe how um, how amazing it is. I mean, I've done a few kind of back-to-back day paddles. And if you've ever done like 40K on one day and 20K on, on the day after, it's tiring. And he's, he's been, I think, mm. 100 and, is it 110 days or it might be more than that. Day after day. And he's doing some great mileage as well. Um, it's it's huge dedication. And it's cold in Scotland. <laughs> Are you talking? A, it is. I think he's in a dry suit now, but yeah, I I I donate him. So if if you can see his morale's a little bit low, um, I'll message. And I know other people are doing this as well. But if he's um, going for a ten k paddle, I'll say to him, I'll donate a pound for every kilometer you do this evening. And he he's kind of. Mm-hmm caught me out the other day because he said he was going for a 7k paddle and it turned into a 23k paddle so (laughs) (laughs) gotta do what you gotta do yeah so you know if it gives somebody motivation and helps them um you know that's Mm. it's good to do um which is why we started the pound of paddle um do you know sarah from sup junkie um Mm -hmm. with friends from racing and i think we both kind of felt the same way we thought you know they're there's something here that we can do to help Jordan and we've kind of started a little campaign on the side just to encourage people to donate the pound because a lot of time or I found that people sometimes don't want to donate because they can't donate a lot you know especially in the climate that we've got with people losing jobs Um, a pound seems like an achievable sum that people could donate and the more people that we get doing that it really mounts up because there's real power in you know that community people standing together and all donating a pound you only need 10,000 people to donate a pound and that's 10,000 pounds and I think we've got more than that in the in the sub community um alone so Mm. we're kind of hoping that if if people can get on board with clubs take a picture on social media tag the great british paddle donate a pound and then share it with their friends it could hopefully kind of snowball into helping Jordan get this school built because I think I think he said that once it's built um he'll be able to go home to see his daughter you know that that was his goal is to get the school built not the world record what an amazing guy so um let's help him out if we're going out for a paddle let's just contribute just a a very small amount of money just to help bring Jordan home and uh, get get his school built yeah. and um and we're going to announce um, an initiative shortly to to make a contribution um to jordan as well because what he's done has been absolutely unbelievable it's just you know as you say absolutely staggering jordan's also been sort of quite transparent because he's had some, some uh, mental health difficulties as well and uh, i understand that he's um you know the, the paddling is helping him um sort of over overcome that so um, all credit to him definitely and again he's another good ambassador for talking about mental health um you know i think it's really important to hear from um men women you know everybody about mental health um you know it's so so important to get the conversation going and i think yeah he has been quite open about it and he's, he's also said about how the paddling has been real therapy and he's not needed as his medication i think he said in one of his um kind of episodes mm, that's right. but you've you've met him you've you've had did you have a paddle with him 
I didn't have a paddle with him. No. I, I was um, I, I was sitting where I was recording. I was doing some work for SUP FM. I was working on the course, and I just sort of went onto Facebook and I'd look at his tracker and realised he was about half a mile away from me, and I don't know how I'd missed it. So anyway, I just leapt leapt up just in what I was wearing. <laughs> went out, out of the house, parked up, screamed, sprinted down to the beach. I was in my flip-flops. I ran a mile and a half in my flip-flops, um, and then I saw him away in the distance. So I ran across the beach and finally got, got to him, and uh, and it was a hot day, and there was a bit of chop, and uh, and he, he was just kind of having – he just fell off his, his, his board because he was obviously wanting to cool down a bit. So I gave him a little wave from the uh, the beach, and he came over, and, and we had a really – nice chat and uh and had a photo so oh, um so cool. uh, and and we, and we have been uh, talking about getting him on the show as well but um obviously he's um he's he's got uh he's got his focus on uh just putting one paddle in front of the other at the moment yeah, so yeah. Um, so we'll probably pick up once he's um once he's in a, a, a bit of a uh, once he's passed a, a bit of a better stage of his um, his journey, but yeah, uh, no, lovely, lovely guy. Oh, that's really that. What a lovely story, though. Just, again, yeah, it'll be a great interview. That yeah, I'm not sure the reception's great in Scotland. I think they've they've been saying no, 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 pr- probably not. Well, particularly around Sky, where where he is at the moment. But um, anyway, we, we, we'll have to schedule that one. Yeah. So imagine in the future you've completed your um, your crossing of the channel in two directions and everything's gone back to normal and money is no object whatsoever. Um, where would be the place that you would really love to go to um, to paddle, either to if there's a race that you really want to do or a location? Where, where would that be? Oh, it'd have to be Hawaii. <laughs> Yeah, I think the M two A is on everybody's list, isn't it? It's the oh hell yeah, it's the race. Um, you know, I'd I'd need more downwind experience. Um, but you know, I've I've got friends out there. A lot of a lot of the people that I've been lucky enough to paddle with have done the race. Um, so it's kind mm. of like the the ultimate like paddleboarders race. Um, I would love. I mm. think my problem would be I'd I'd fall in love with Hawaii because it's just. It's such, you know, it's such a place for all water sports. Mm. I like Outrigger as well, and they've got a, you know, a big Outrigger community. It's just, yeah, mm. I think that'd have to be top of the list. It's the ultimate playground, yeah. isn't it, for water people? Is that another one on your list? Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I certainly wouldn't turn that one down. I mean, the Pacific Islands anyway, that yeah. you know, that, that sort of Pacific culture is, um, you know, just quite amazing and... Um, you know, me and Nick have got increasingly into this um, this author called um, Tristan Gooley, who's a guy who who's sort of very focused on water and water patterns and navigation and Pacific Island Islanders to sort of find out about how how they sort of do things. So yeah. you know, um, I'd love to go to Hawaii. That would be awesome. Yeah, well, I'll have to I'll have to grab that name off you because that sounds like an interesting read. Well, we, we we do have an interview scheduled with him, but it's going to be in the new year. But he's an absolutely fascinating bloke. So. Um, Samantha, thanks ever so much for your time. You've been an absolute star. Really, really interesting chat. Where can we find more out about you? Um, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I've got an Instagram page under Samantha Rutt Ocean Adventures, and it's the same on Facebook. So that's where I'm kind of posting about mental health, my mental health, and kind of where I'm paddling. 
I'm hoping once lockdown's over and we can start meeting up to meet clubs along the way, um, even if they're inland, to kind of um, donate to the charity that I'm raising money for, but to talk about mental health and to go for a paddle and talk about mental health. Um, so all, where I'm at will we'll be on those pages. So if people want to get involved, it, it would be wonderful to kind of meet up with people that, you know, mental health is important for them so they can come along and have a chat. Brilliant. And, and we'll, we'll put all the links in the show notes. And, and one of the the um, organisations that you're an ambassador for, which we haven't mentioned so far, is Black Dog Outdoor. Do you want to just say a quick quick thing about uh, about them? Yeah, they're an um, amazing organisation that's uh, based up north. Um, but what they do is they completely volunteer their time. So you've got paddle paddling experts, hiking experts, climbing experts, but they take people with PTSD, complex PTSD, um, depression, um, you know, all sorts of things that are linked to mental, um, your mental health, they take you outside in nature and kind of get you reconnecting to kind of help, you know, help you find that connection with nature to help your mental health. And they, they do it all for free. So any money that I've raised for them or that anybody raises for them or donates goes straight to buying equipment like paddle boards, buoyancy aids, um, you know, to get more people out and engaged in nature. They do a really good job. Well, good luck in all your adventures. And um, I look forward to seeing you on the water at some time. That would be really lovely when when I kind of get to your neck of the woods. It'd be really lovely to meet you. Um, And thank you for asking me for the interview. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. (laughs) Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.